All right, so we're continuing our series on our values of neighborhood church. And so if you're sticking around for lunch, you'll get a little recap of this, but we won't need to spend quite as much time on it in our Welcome to the Neighborhood Lunch uh, because that's, this is a lot of what, this is normally something that we cover in that. And so you're getting the, you're getting the preview here. Um, but uh, our, our mission as neighborhood church is we are inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Um, and Luke... I think I unplugged the clicker back there this week when I was, uh, oh, there it goes. I don't know if I did that or you did that, but, oh, I did it. Wow, of power. Um, uh, our mission is we're inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, and we, we um, well, I'm not going to re-preach all of these, so you'll have to get on the podcast and go back and listen to um, to these if you want the recap, but we, we believe that's what we're called to do. Jesus said, as he ascended into heaven, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing people, that, that, we would, that we would spread the knowledge of Jesus, that we would preach the gospel. We were inviting our neighbors to meet Jesus and to follow him. Um, and in doing that, our, our first value is that we put Jesus first. <laughs> I don't know how this thing works. Oh, there we go. I broke it. Sorry, Luke, I broke it. I don't know if I can be trusted with this kind of, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And uh, I think it probably needs charged, I don't know. Uh, We put Jesus first. We center everything on his love and grace because he alone has set us free. Um, Every story in the Bible points to Jesus and the redemptive plan of salvation. And so we put Jesus first in our preaching. We put Jesus first in our lives. And that is our first value. We, um, We also trust the Bible. We depend on scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through his word. God gives believers the indwelling Holy Spirit that also uh, leads us and guides us. God gives um, believers the church, um, which kind of leads us to the next one. We journey together. God leads us most directly through his word. And it's important that we, put, that we trust the Bible. Um, it's also important that we journey together. Um, we, wait, hold on, I'm not done with that one. I'm going to say some more about it. Uh, church is more than just a place, to, a, a place to attend. It's a family to belong to. And we grow and we follow Jesus together. Um, we, we talked, um, I mentioned last week in, o, in Ocala, no man is an island. We, we need one another. We are part of a community and a family called the church. Um, we collaborate rather than compete, and that's not just because we're connected to two other churches, but that's because we're connected to a kingdom that it belongs to God. And in that kingdom is not divisions like Presbyterian and uh, Brethren or Karis Fellowship. And it, no, that there is the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that all churches are the same or that all churches faithfully preach the gospel, but the kingdom of God is bigger than these four walls. And so we want to work together with other, others who are seeking God's kingdom first. And um, Jesus has one body. We're all on his team. And so we collaborate instead of compete. And um, the next one is that we hold God's gifts with open hands. That's the one we're going to be talking about this morning. God gives each of us resources, experiences, and abilities, so we share them generously with others. Um, more on that uh, in the rest of this sermon. Uh, we also, the last one is that we hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. And I think we should also have a value that says that we will find a better way to say that because <laughs> I think it's too long. But we, the, the truth of the gospel never changes, but we trust the Holy Spirit to help us creatively reach our community. We want to be flexible 
in how we do what we do, even though the mission to invite our neighbors and to meet and follow Jesus doesn't change, our commitment to the gospel doesn't change, God's word doesn't change, God doesn't change. But how we reach our community um, ought to reflect um, the things that work. And so we want to trust the Holy Spirit to guide us in that. Um, hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to me, with me to um, the book of James, uh, we're going to be in a, a few different books this morning, but we will keep coming back to the book of James. Um, <clears throat> holding God's gifts with open hands. There's a, a pastor I know who said one of his elders likes to use the, the phrase, well, that's an interesting way God wants us to use his money. But I, I, I say that first because even this is, this is a value about generosity. It is, we're obviously going to talk about money, but it's more than money. Um, but the perspective that it all belongs to God is where we need to start. Um, it's an interesting way God wants us to spend his money or wants me to spend his money. And that's, we could say that in our own lives as well. Um, it all belongs to God and he has given it to us. Whatever, whatever, he ha- whatever you have has come from him and he gives it to us. And so it belongs to him. Um, let's look first here at James chapter 1. A um, couple of verses here in verse 16. Starting in verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's a, there's a lot to unpack in, in James, and we're not going to be able to unpack it all. Um, we, are, we hold a unique place in God's creation. We bear his image the image of God, the imago dei, as the, um, the old church fathers would, would refer to it, the image of God, and God uniquely within creation interacts with us in a way that is different from the rest of creation. And one of those things is that he gives us every good and perfect gift. There is a, a value that we have in America for kind of rugged individualism, this idea that we'll pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit that we're going to make something out of nothing and uh, the, the, the idea of the self-made man or the self-made millionaire or whatever. And all of that sounds um, really really cool, I guess. I don't know. That, that's, that's a very, you know, very American ideas, and I'm, I'm not even saying that those... You know, that that kind of entrepreneurial spirit is a bad thing. Uh, I'm a church planter now. Um, and it turns out that's kind of like entrepreneurship and is sort of important. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Um, <clears throat> well, we're thankful to have uh, uh, um, the Ostrowskis with us this morning from Sebring Neighborhood Church. And uh, uh, we're excited to be able to celebrate with them this morning. And but, but this idea that, that we're going we're gonna to get for ourselves kind of clouds our perspective that every good and perfect gift comes from above, that anything we have comes from God. Um,
God gives each of us resources. So some of us have things. Some of us have finances. We, we have the ability to, uh, to either pay for things or to bless other people in that way. Um, my family has been recipients of that in a huge way recently as my, as my wife continues her, her battle with breast cancer and we um, journey through that together. Uh, we are so thankful for so many in our church family who have come alongside us and helped us in material ways. Um, God also gives each of us experiences and abilities. There are so many ways to serve in the church. There are so many ways to serve each other. And sometimes, sometimes finances is not the area in which we have been abundantly blessed, but we've got the ability to help in another way. If you, um, if you look ahead here to James chapter, um, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, Paul writes, My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For a, if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly... And if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in and you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. And while to the one who is poor, you say, uh, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The point is important that everything we have comes from God. And the way that that ties in is to treat People differently based on what they have is to in many ways ignore that it all came from God anyway. In other words, to, to schmooze the one person to, uh, you know, in the hopes that you might benefit from what God has given them is to ignore the fact that God was the one that gave it to them. To think, oh, well, if I treat this person right, maybe they'll give me some of what is theirs but it's all God's. And to treat another person uh, poorly because they have less material things is, again, to ignore it all comes from God. And so we ought not to make those sort of distinctions among ourselves. <clears throat> what we have is from God. Oh, sorry, I had a, a slide on that one. Um, what we have is from God, and, uh, and he gave it to us for a reason. He gave it to us for a reason. If we, if we look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, we see this. Keep your finger there in James. In fact, you might even not even need to turn a page, because in my Bible it's right there on the opposite page there. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God, everything we have comes from God, and he gave it to us for a reason. There's a, another, another, again, okay, so keep your finger in James and turn to Ephesians. There's a, a passage here that also helps us to illustrate this. Um, oh, I'm turning to it. I have it printed out in front of me. I get to cheat. 
Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but let him rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he might have something to share with anyone in need. For a little more context, I wanted to start there, but for a little more context, back up to verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I remember when he says Gentiles, he's, he, that, that term kind of universally meant people who don't believe in God. This is in the book of Ephesus, which may have had, to the church at Ephesus, which may have had a, a healthy Jewish population, but was certainly a Greek city. He's not saying anyone who's not Jewish. He's saying unbelievers. He said, they, they alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, verse 19, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Or we might say, assuming that you have met him and are following him. To put off, as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not Grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, I read all of that to couch in its context that phrase about laboring with doing honest work so that you may have something to share. God has given everything to us that we have and he gave it to us for a reason and Paul is communicating here in Ephesians chapter 4 the, some, what ought to be some of the values and culture within the church. That we had a way we used to think and now we have a new way that we think. We had a way that we used to act and that came naturally to us as, as depraved people. And then when we were redeemed by Christ, we got a new way of thinking and a new way of looking at things. And, and, and what I want to point out is in that list of things that we think about differently now is our stuff, including our money. We used to think a certain way about our money, and now we think differently because we belong to God. 
and we belong to the family of God. He mentions that in the list of things to put away that we used to be greedy and now we ought to be eager to share. That being kind and tender-hearted to one another means that we are empathetic. We under we we are we are sensitive to the needs of others and and are are quick to recognize there's a need. How can I help? How can I help meet that need? God gave us everything that He has given us for a reason. You see. Uh, getting back to the book of James, James chapter 3 gets into some of this as well. Um, James um, chapter 3, starting in verse 13, says, Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I I, I say, make that point because... This idea of jealousy and selfish ambition, it extends to how we view our stuff and whose it is and what we ought to do with it. And when we view our neighbor, when we view our other pe- whether it's other people in the church or our, you know, our neighbors around us, through, the, through a lens of jealousy and selfish ambition, there is not empathy. There is not a, how can I help? There, is a, there I see there's a need, how can I help meet that? Jealousy and selfish ambition are part of what Paul talked about in Ephesians as the way we used to think about our stuff, the way we used to think about what we acquire and have no place in how we ought to think as those who belong to God. What we have is from God. He gave it to us for a reason so that we would share it with others. Turn it in your Bibles to a familiar story in Luke chapter 10. Um, you may not know what's in Luke chapter 10, but as soon as you get there, you'll, you'll see. You know this one. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10 and starting in verse 25, uh, Jesus is teaching and he is telling a parable, a very familiar parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, Everything we have is from God. He gave it to us for a reason that we would share it with others. And so let, let's, through that lens, let's, let's look here. Starting in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which is kind of the first problem was the idea that you know, I can do something and receive eternal life on my own merits. But that's... Yeah, when your starting point is, is like that, you'll end up someplace funny. But you'll actually end up immortalized in Scripture asking a stupid question. Not a stupid question, but uh, the wrong question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what, did it, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Which sounds so simple, except to really do that is to be perfect. And, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, I love that. We talked about this in our, in our first, the, 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 the sermon we did on our, our mission of inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. This caveat, well, okay, so I know I should do that, but just so I'm really clear, who all do I really have to do that uh, for? Seeking to justify himself, looking for, looking for a loophole. I did mention he's a lawyer. Um, looking for a loophole. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And I know you, you've, I'm sure you've heard this, you've heard this, this story drawn out and lots of points made with it, and I'm, I'm, not, trying to, um, I'm not trying to do that, but good grief of, of all the people who ought to, had, ought to have had compassion on this man, you would think the priest. You would think the person who is uh, responsible for uh, um, helping to care for and facilitate people's spiritual health, that someone, someone you know, theoretically you know, really connected to God ought to. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a reality here. And I understand this is a parable, but there is a reality here that even those of us in ministry are not exempt from the temptation to turn a blind eye to other people's needs. In, in fact, I think those those of us in ministry, particularly if the if the need is if the need is financial, maybe um, often those of us in ministry say, "Well, someone with deeper pockets will probably be able to meet that need, and we we can move on." You know, if the need is spiritual, you know, I could I could stop and and talk to them and 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 help them, but um, but you know, that's not really my lane. We, we all, this lawyer who had a temp, there was a temptation for him to seek to justify himself. We all do it. We can all do it. And I just want to be really clear that, and, and honest that, that even those of us who work in, in vocational ministry are not exempt from the temptation to justify ourselves and find some reason why someone else might be better suited to meet this need. So likewise, a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. This, kind of a, this, this point applies to both of them here, the priest and the Levite, but you know, that obviously to handle someone who is you know, bleeding and you know, all that, it was going to create some ceremonial uncleanness that would interfere with their temple duties. And, and, and so... You know, to, to help this guy meant that they weren't going to be able, maybe they wouldn't get where they were going on time. Maybe when they did get there, they wouldn't be able to do the things that they were going there to do because, you know, now they're ceremonially unclean and that's going to take, you know, time to do the whole purification rituals. And, and uh, you know, this, this whole thing is a real inconvenience. That's another temptation that we all have to 
you know, we, we don't like to think of ourselves as greedy, right? And so we think, well, it's not that I am unwilling to help this person, but, you know, someone, someone else might be able to help them more easily, you know, without it, um, without it maybe stinging so much. Um, someone might be someone else you know like someone with deeper pockets might be able to give to this and it not be so sacrificial as though God didn't call us to sacrificial giving and you know someone else you know listen I'm on a really tight schedule here timetable I I can't I I, I can't I can't stop and, and, and help this person We all do this. We seek to justify ourselves because someone else might have uh, deeper pockets or more abilities. Someone else might have more time in their schedule to meet this need. So likewise, uh, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Okay, so before, we all know how this story goes, but just... Stay with me here. The Samaritan had the most reason to have nothing to do with the person lying there. The Samaritan, uh, uh, they, they would not have considered themselves countrymen. In fact, there was a lot of animosity between the two. The, the Samaritans were like, at best, half Jewish the Samaritans were, um, you know, the, when, when the nation of Israel got carted off into captivity, the, the, the Hebrew people that went and like hid in caves in the hills and didn't get carted off, then kind of, you know, eventually settled back in and there weren't that many of them. And so then they intermarried with some of the other people around there. And, and so like when the, when the people came back in like ne- book of Nehemiah and they came back to the, to the, um, to the promised land, the Samaritans were there, these people who claimed to be kind of Jewish, but the Jewish people were like, no, you're not, you're not like us, you're not one of us. They had, Samaria was in this area that was in the way between some parts of Israel and Jerusalem, and so they had these real convenient routes that went out and around, so you didn't even have to walk through it, you didn't even have to see these people. Anyway, you, it's likely you've heard a lot of this before. The Samaritan of the three people had the most reason to say, he doesn't even, he probably doesn't even want my help. He didn't do that, but that's another way that we seek to justify ourselves. Somebody else maybe has deeper pockets. Somebody else maybe has more time. Somebody else, uh, the help might be better received coming from someone else. All of, these, all of these are ways that we are inclined to think in our sinful nature. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And there it is, the empathy, seeing a need. Godly, biblical love, meeting a need, just because there's a need, expecting nothing in return. This guy might have repaid him for his kindness, except he'd just been robbed for everything he had and left for dead. Meeting meeting a need because there's a need, expecting nothing in return. That is biblical love. It says the Samaritan had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the host, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. That whole parable is, is targeted at the guy asking the question because Jesus knew his heart, seeking to justify himself. And it speaks to all of us because we all do it. Later in the book of James, there's a, he says, to him that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him... I ran out of batteries there for a second. To him, it is sin who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it. I read an awful story in the news uh, just yesterday. Um, I don't know how many of you got the alert from Polk County, the Polk County Sheriff's Department about a hit and run, and they were looking for the vehicle. They ended up finding the guy. Um driving through a neighborhood and hit some nine-year-old kid on its bike and he kept driving and the kid died. Awful, awful story. He said he thought he'd hit a mailbox or, or something and well, that's what he said at first but then when he saw the report that the kid had died, he ended up turning himself in but it's an awful story but it, but it stuck out to me when I read that that Failing to render aid, particularly when the injury leads to death, is a felony. And what stuck out to me about that is that, like, that is a biblical concept. That, I mean, we can point right back to the story of the Good Samaritan. To fail to render aid when you could, you could have helped and you chose not to, that is wrong. It is wrong. Even our, even our secular society realizes that's wrong. If it, is, if it is within your means to help someone, you have a responsibility to do so. <clears throat> God gives us everything that we have. Everything we have comes from God. He gave it to us for a reason that we would share it with others. And my, my third point here is that God is generous. We cannot be withholding. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, I know we're kind of all over the place. One of the, we... we <clears throat> Normally, like to camp in one passage, but you know you can just enjoy this while it lasts because we're getting ready in a couple of weeks to start a series through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to bounce back and forth between. We'll do five or six weeks in Hebrews, and then talk about some other stuff, then come back to Hebrews, and it's going to take us about a year and a half to get through. I'm excited about it. Um, but anyway, that was just a plug for what's coming up here. Um, but Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two. 
It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Now, I'm not advocating that the church needs to start a communist commune in which we sell all our things and live on, you know, we only have four acres here anyway, so which just wouldn't work logistically. <laughs> we can't get the permits. No, that's, uh, that, that's, not, that's not the point. Um, but any time, we, we read here that any time in the early church that there was a need, the people rallied around it, that person and just met the need. Because they had the mindset that nothing I have really belongs to me. And this, this gets to the whole, the whole value of holding God's gifts with open hands. Is that it is stewardship, not ownership. We've got to think about what we have from God as we are stewards of it, not owners of it. We can't take it with us when we leave. When we leave this earth... Anything we've acquired, we leave behind. And it's good. It's a good thing. The Bible says that a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It is good that we do that. But we've got to have a mindset that it is stewardship, not ownership. That was the mindset of the early church. They had everything in common. They, they, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. And so go, going back to the, one of the first things we said here, that, you know, this, this is an interesting way that God wants me to spend his money. This perspective that it all belongs to God. And however he directs me to use it, who am I to say no? It belongs to him. The idea of a steward is someone who takes care of someone else's things. Jesus tells a parable about um, a, a man who goes away for a long time, and when you traveled any distance in the ancient world, it was for a long time because you kind of went on foot. Um, and he gave three of his servants amounts of money for them to be stewards of while he was gone. And, the, you know, you know that two of them invested, made investments with that money, and the third one did not. And the one who did not, um, even though he protected the principal, uh, was chastised uh, sternly for that because he was supposed to be a steward of that thing. He was supposed to not just guard it, but to use it in the way that his master would have directed. He was supposed to know his master and use his master's things the way his, that matched his master's values. And that, that, those, that terminology is really important because when we choose, when we meet and choose to follow Jesus, we become slaves to God. Yes, we become children of God. He adopts us into his family, and that's an incredible privilege that a slave would become a son. But we were slaves to the kingdom of darkness, and God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, redeems us, that is, he buys us at that price, buys us from the kingdom of darkness into his own kingdom, and now we belong to him, having been purchased at an extremely steep price. And belonging to God in that way means that we are slaves to God. 
a, a slave has, has no will of his own and has no rights of his own. And that's a, this, this is for a whole other sermon, and it's, it's, hard to, it's hard in this country to talk about slavery because of the history our country has with it that is just obviously despicable. In the ancient world, the, the Bible's not condoning slavery, but it was a reality and they understood it, and it was, it was different. It was usually... Um, you owed more money than you could ever pay back, and so you found a wealthy benefactor who could pay your debts, and you would work for him for a defined period of years. It was not race-based. It was not property-based. It wasn't really that kind of thing. It was, it was you relinquished your rights, you relinquished your own will, and you said, and you, you kind of, you, you surrendered yourself to this person who would then care for you while you served them until your debt was repaid. But at the end of that period of time, you could choose to become a bond servant. And the Greek word for that is doulos. And that is the word that is, that is used for us when we become slaves to God, the doulos. Doulos is someone who has reached the end of that defined term. Their debt has been repaid and they now are released or could be released, but a doulos, a bond servant, is someone who reaches the end of that period and says, you know what? You've been good to me. My life would not be better on my own. I'm going to choose of my own will to relinquish my rights and my will from this point forward and continue to be your slave. Bond servant or bond slave. That is someone who has, who has chosen to stay a slave to a, um, oh, what's the word? Um, anyway, to a benevolent master. There is no more benevolent master than God. It's, it's so hard for us to think about, oh, see, I said this is a whole other sermon and you're getting it anyway, but... It is so hard for us to think about, about any good version of slavery because there is no good version of a master that is human. God is good. He is goodness. And to be a slave to the perfect master that is God is a privilege. There's no more noble and benevolent master than God. In fact, when you're you a God's servant, why would you need your own will or your own rights? Your rights protect you, but why would we need protected from God? Why would we need our own will when his will is perfect? I'm going somewhere with this. See, here's the thing. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs us everything. It's a free gift that has to be grasped with an empty hand. It's a free gift, but it costs us everything. And what, what that means is the decision to follow Christ, the decision to become God's child, and that is God's slave whom he, in his 
divine benevolence adopts as, its, as his child. It doesn't cost us anything. It, it, it is free, and yet what we give up to belong to God is everything. We give up our rights. We give up our will, and we surrender it all to God. How that applies here is what God has given us, how can we hold with closed hands? How can, can we receive from God these rich blessings, whether it's material things or, or whatever, how do we hold that then with closed hands and refuse to use those things that he has given us in the way that our divine master would have us use them? We cannot be, we cannot be withholding when God is so generous. There's much more um, that we could get into, uh, but our, our time is, is gone. We hold God's gifts with open hands. Everything we have comes from God. He gave it to us for a reason that we would share it. He is generous. We cannot be withholding. I would be remiss if I did not make this last point. There is something that God has generously given us that we cannot be withholding of, and that is forgiveness. We who had no redeeming qualities in and of ourselves, we were in no way deserving of God's forgiveness, and yet he, had, he so generously poured out his forgiveness on us. Now, it is one thing to take wealth that God has given you and bless others with it. That looks good on you. So sometimes that's easier. But when God has forgiven us of so much, how can we be withholding of forgiveness to others? We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be a slave in your house, in your kingdom. And yet, as if that were not enough, already such an infinite privilege over being a slave to the kingdom of darkness, in which our former master sought only to inflict us pain as if it were not enough to be redeemed and be a slave in your kingdom. You've adopted us as children, given us an inheritance. Put us to work on something that matters, inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. God, what a privilege. What a hope that we have, that we can belong to you and somehow, in your divine wisdom, you use broken vessels like us to carry a message as precious as the gospel. God, thank you for your blessings. Help us to see where the needs are and to have compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close today, our benediction is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go and be good stewards of what God has given us this week. Thank you.